Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we're talking with Margaret Kimberly, who's been on the show before. She is a co-founder and executive editor and senior columnist for Black Agenda Report. She's a recipient of the Serena Shim Award for Uncompromising Integrity in Journalism. She is a board member of Consortium News and a recipient of a 2021 Women and Media Award from the Women's Institute for Freedom of the Press. Ms. Kimberly is author of the book, Prejudential, Black America and the Presidents, which we discussed with her last year. She is also a contributor to the anthologies In Defense of Julian Assange, Capitalism on a Ventilator, The Impact of COVID-19 on China and the U.S., and Killing Trayvons, an anthology of American violence. Her activism includes leadership positions in the United National Anti-War Coalition, the Black Alliance for Peace, and the Board of Directors of the U.S. Peace Memorial Foundation. Margaret Kimberly, welcome back to Talk World Radio. Great uh, to have you back on, and thanks for all the work you've been doing nonstop. Let's start with Colin Powell. I had no idea he was such a heroic family man of such profound morality. I thought he was this sociopath who lied to help kill a million people. You probably knew knew better all along, right? Well, no, I guess he's both of those things. I mean, I have no idea what kind of family man he was. <laughs> I'll, I'll take everybody's word for it. He was a doting uh, father and a devoted husband, but uh, that doesn't mattered anybody outside of the Powell family. He is the man who famously uh, lied at the United Nations in 2003 to make the case for the U.S. invasion of Iraq. And that is how I will always uh, remember him. He was, he said, people should, you know, and of course he, he, he screwed himself by doing that. He would have been better off uh, resigning. He probably could have become president, actually, if he had yes. resigned uh, in, um, pr on principle. But he was a careerist, I, I think, more than anything. There's a reason he never read, ran for elective office. He was a careerist and a good soldier. So what's a good soldier? A good soldier follows orders. And if you're told to make the case a BS case for war, then that's what you will do and make excuses about it. But he had a long career. He, uh, I don't think it's quite true that he covered up the My Lai massacre, but he uh, obfuscated and made tried to keep it from coming out, although fortunately it did anyway, back in the late 60s when he was in Vietnam. Um, so he played a role in, he kidnapped the president of Haiti in 2004, when he was Secretary of State under Bush, one of many uh, catastrophes that the U.S. inflicted upon that uh, that country, uh, so he uh, his um, his legacy is a terrible one. I mean, there's no other way. I don't see any other way to judge him. And you know, as a as a black person, there's this pressure to be happy when black people reach these positions. And, you know, the way people have defined equality is for black people to be able to do the things that only white people could do. And so that doesn't just mean a black person winning an Oscar. It means a black person being the secretary of state and waging wars. 
Um, but uh, I have to be consistent, and these are not the kind of people I have praised or admired, and I don't make an exception for him. You know, if you or I tell a lie, uh, you know, that, that there's they're not going to care too much about our race or family life or, you know, it, it's going to be a lie. But I read the New York Times on the passing of Colin Powell, and he simply presented uh, faulty intelligence. Uh, and I read the Washington Post. And they gave all of his own, you know, heartwarming, deeply troubled moral views of his own speech at the UN, but nobody else's opinion, no facts of the matter, no notion that his own staff had told him nobody's even going to believe this stuff. Uh, how, what? I mean, there's some, some sort of privilege you get, uh, sure. at least if you're on the side of war. Well, they cover up for you. Um, if you're at, at that elite level, then they all cover up for you. So the uh, newspapers who are supposed to report, they're supposed to give us the who, when, who, what, when, where, why, and how. If you did that, um, you would at least include um, the points of view of those who were in opposition. But it's as if they, uh, once again, I mean, we saw that happen in 2003, didn't we? So people who uh, opposed uh, the war were disappeared or uh, were belittled or were made fun of. Um, and so that continues. And these newspapers who went along, you know, the days of uh, the Pentagon, I mean, there'd be no Pentagon papers today. I mean, let's face it, there, there wouldn't be. So the New York Times, Washington Post, et cetera, MSNBC, CNN, they'll all talk about how wonderful Colin Powell was, and they will exclude anybody who says differently. Yeah. So um, it, it's a funny thing. We talk about propaganda in other countries. We're very much indoctrinated, and this is just one example of how that works. And judging by social media uh, on the day that Colin Powell passed, if it's not anti-social media, there are a lot of people out there who fully admit that it, he blatantly lied, but they believe mm -hmm. that was the honorable thing to do as a good soldier. First you push back, first you refuse and resist, but when the order comes down, the good soldier obeys. Well, if that's a good soldier, do we really want soldiers around at all? Well, that is being a good soldier. That is what they do. They do as they're told. They protect their boss. They protect the military. So the question is, should we be honoring somebody who's a good soldier? I, I mean, if we had lived in a different country, maybe you could do that, but you can't in this country. You certainly cannot. Uh, and nobody, I, I find it interesting too, people twist themselves in like pretzels, uh, trying to make sure they join in on this deification. So you have the, you know, the so, I always say the so-called progressives in Congress, because we should be so lucky as to really have progressives in Congress. And they're all like, well, we have to honor his legacy. And uh, Congressman, uh, oh, he's from New York, Bowman, Jamal Bowman, you know, as a young black man, I admired him so much. And so he was inspirational to me. And I responded on Twitter. I was just in a snarky mood. I said, well, I hope you're not inspired to kill hundreds of thousands of people because that's what he did. And that's what the system demanded of him. So we, I think, should demand more of ourselves. But you see how everyone's been rehabilitated. George W. Bush is rehabilitated. 
and you see, uh, you know, pictures of him painting puppies or whatever, or he was a more honorable than Trump, who was, we were always told was this outlier and so much more terrible than every other president. But um, that's not the case. I haven't figured out what they're going to do to to make Dick Cheney look good when he leaves this earth, but they're going to find something. <laughs> sure they will. Sure they will. They'll talk about how smart he was, his years of service, his daughter um, denouncing Trump. He'll, that'll help him, you know, when he croaks. Um, they'll, they'll throw that in. But they'll they'll find a way. You're right. Mar Margaret Kimberly, your latest article at Black Agenda Report uh, is about <laughs> the, the big Obama uh, presidential library memorial monument uh, in Chicago. Uh, that's got to be a good thing, right? Oh, Jesus. 19 acres. I mean, my God. Well, I know they all get a presidential library or center or whatever, but it's a 19 acre facility 500 million well it's probably going to end up costing more than that half billion dollars which i mean he, he'd raised a billion dollars to become president right so it only it only makes sense but of course you can't build something like that and not accelerate gentrification so this uh facilities is in the other issue is it's in a public park so uh this parkland is being taken from the public and the people who live in the community, working class black people, are, are it's already begun. They're being driven out of their homes. Rents are going up. The price of homes are, uh, is going up. Uh, so people are going to, black people are going to be displaced by this project. Um, and that's very clear. Uh, but once again, we see this need to be loyal, even... You know, even some of the people who have been protesting, they, they are loath to criticize Obama. They'll say things like, uh, oh, we like the center, but we want to be here to enjoy it or something. Not yeah. don't take my house away, not don't destroy my community. Uh, so uh, it's un and I feel badly for these people, but they are fighting for their survival and they need to start saying that and stop cutting him any slack. Stop uh, making uh, excuses for him and and go ahead and <clears throat> excuse me and tell the public what this is going to mean. I don't suppose anyone has actually asked the former president himself uh, his view of the gentrification damage of his his library. <laughs> well, he said, um, you know, typical Obama fashion. Well, people say there's going to be gentrification. Yes, because there is. So, um, you know, this kind of uh, slick denial, uh, but he doesn't care. I mean, that's, listen, this is what these guys do. They, uh, the presidents and prime ministers are all the errand boys for the 1%. Uh, errand girls, too, I think we're supposed to be excited about that, right? When uh, women get to be the, the slick, slippery one in office. Um, yeah. And they get rewarded when it's over. They get paid half a million dollars to give speeches and, um, their crimes are uh, erased and uh, the same people who gave them money to become president give them money for these, uh, you know, monuments. It's like a, you know, it's like a pyramid from ancient Egypt or something, you know, 19 acres. I'm like, that's a small town. I mean, come on. It's uh, yeah, in the middle of a city, <laughs> in the middle of a city. Uh, and nobody needs this, you know, but that's not Obama. He would not have a modest reasonable sized uh, 
uh, presidential library at a university, which is what many of them do. No, he's got to build his own thing and it's got to be all, you know, so he'll dispense tribute and patronage and, you know, the rich people who helped him become president and the corporations will, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, more buy-in and uh, keep their control over that, you know, that sector. I'm sure there will be a big memorial out front to every <laughs> drone victim, too. Um, Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> the, uh, you know, Margaret Kimberly, I will never forget in 2006 when people supposedly put the Democrats in power in Washington to end the war on Iraq. And then they turned around in the beginning of 07 and said the real smart thing to do would be to escalate it. And the guy who, who was, you know, cited in the Washington Post as pushing that strategy of we'll actually escalate the war we were just elected to end so that we can run against it again in two years and elect a Democrat president uh, was a guy named Rahm Emanuel. And he was mayor of Chicago and covered up the murder of a young person named Laquan McDonald. And now they're about to have hearings on the anniversary of that murder to make him ambassador to Japan. And Barack Obama has endorsed him for that. Uh, has anyone asked the former president how he could endorse such a person for ambassador? Well, he doesn't care. Rahm Emanuel was his chief of staff his first term. And then with his blessing, became mayor of Chicago. And as you point out, a, a teenager, Laquan McDonald, was killed by the police. Uh, mayor Emanuel had the dash cam video, which showed the murder. They kept it hidden, forced the family not to talk about it in order to get a settlement. Uh, and then it, it came out after uh, he was facing a tough primary. Then the video was allowed to come out. So his career in a just world would be over. His name would be Mud. He wouldn't be anything. He couldn't be a mayor. He couldn't run for office. He couldn't be, isn't he a talking head on a, one of those Sunday morning shows? Mm -hmm. Or the ambassador to Japan or the ambassador to Nowheresville. But, um, but he's, he's in. He's in with the in crowd. He worked for a former president. He was a mayor. And that sort of thing makes somebody untouchable. So, no, nobody's going to uh, ask about that. We're speaking Sam. with Margaret Kimberly, who's executive editor and senior columnist at the Black Agenda Report, which you should check out regularly. Uh, Margaret, I understand you're making plans to go to Nicaragua. What's, what's that about? Uh, so in a few weeks, Nicaragua's election is November 7th. The U.S. is, uh, as it has in other countries in the region, how dare people vote for a left-wing government. So like Venezuela, like Cuba, they're hitting Nicaragua with sanctions. They're already saying the election is unfair. It hasn't even been held yet. Uh, so I and others were um, have been invited on a delegation uh, uh, um, uh, around the time of uh, their election. And uh, the idea is to have uh, people such as myself, especially people who write, to talk about, to tell people the truth about this country, this little country of six million people. There, there are more people in New York City than there are in all of Nicaragua. But every time these little countries, you know, they try to make some change that they want, but the United States decides that um, they're not going to get what they want. So it's important for people to go to Nicaragua, to see it for themselves, uh, to tell the rest of the country and the rest of the world that this is just a nation, uh, you know, but they've been trying to overthrow the Sandinistas since the days of Reagan. Now they succeeded 
And um, uh, Nicaraguans elected a more conservative administration for more than 10 years, another political party. And that was fine for Nicaraguans to make that decision. But when they decided to go back to the Sandinista party, then uh, these people suddenly lost their rights of self-determination and were not to be trusted. And uh, the U.S. claims this right to undermine their administration and make life miserable for people there, which is all the U.S. ever does. So uh, it's about 30 people who've been invited, writers, activists. Um, I'm going with the delegation part of Black Alliance for Peace, several of us going. And I've never been to Nicaragua, so it's, um, it's very, very exciting. It, it, there's, of course, uh, blanket coverage from the U.S. Uh, of every flaw, real and imagined, in the Nicaraguan government. Uh, and I have to assume that, like every other government on the planet, uh, some of those flaws are actually real, uh, which doesn't change the gross hypocrisy of the U.S. government, which arms and funds and supports dozens of far worse governments around the planet. Uh, but are you able to... Are, are you able to say, yes, there are problems with the Nicaraguan government, but it's not going to be fixed by uh, bullying from the U.S.? Uh, I'm sure there are problems there, but I, I have to say it's not our business. It's for people in that country to resolve their problems. It's for people there to have debates about the kind of country they want and to have a real democracy where they can disagree. Um uh, and it's not for the United States to decide that they cannot make this decision. You can't. You can have a democracy, but you can't choose this group, because then we drop the hammer and make people suffer with these terrible sanctions. And uh, just to repeat, I, when we talk about sanctions, I think people think it just means that you know the targeted country can't uh, send money to a bank here, or you can't send money there. U.S. sanctions are, in effect, international sanctions because the U.S. says we'll punish anybody who dares to uh, confront us. So if another country, Country X, says we're going to ignore the U.S. and do business with Nicaragua or Cuba or Venezuela or Iran, then they are hit with sanctions, too. And that makes the targeted nation, it really just strangles them economically. So they can't get loans. You can't send money. You can't send people from these countries, can't send remittances back homes as so many immigrants uh, uh, do. They can't. It keeps them from getting food, keeps them from getting medicine. So, um, I, you know, there are people who are actually proud that the U.S. will, you know, keep uh, Venezuelan diabetics from getting their insulin. But that's the long and the short of U.S. foreign policy. It's war by other means. It's waging war without sending troops. It's to make people miserable enough that they decide to do what the U.S. wants them to do. And, and a man who's not a U.S. citizen and wasn't in the U.S. and not subject to U.S. law, if I'm not mistaken, has just been kidnapped and brought to the U.S. to be punished for opposing U.S. sanctions in, in Venezuela. What, what sort of rule of law and rule-based order is that? Well, Al, you're talking about Alex Saab, who was kidnapped. Um, he was working on behalf of the Venezuelan government on his way to Iran when the plane refueled in uh, Cape Verde Islands. He was snatched. Um, he's been held there for a couple of years now. And yesterday, uh, over the weekend, uh, the U.S. government, and he was not even extradited properly. 
Uh, apparently, the process of extradition wasn't complete, and the U.S. just rendered him back to the U.S., and they're charging him with committing a crime in Venezuela. They're saying he extorted money or uh, uh, against the Venezuelan government, and it's like, wait a minute, because he didn't commit a crime. So they have to make something up. The goal of this is to put pressure on Venezuela. There had been talks. There was hope that the Biden administration uh, would relieve these sanctions, and the Venezuelan government was in talks with opposition groups in Mexico, and Venezuela withdrew temporarily, and there were Americans under house arrest in Venezuela. Venezuela now put them in prison, uh, just as China did with the, in the case of Meng Wanzhou. So it's called, the term is lawfare that people are using, the U.S. using um, the law to wage uh, war, to break its own laws. The U.S. has no jurisdiction about Venezuela. So even if Alex Saab uh, did um, uh, um, take money in Venezuela, it's not a violation of U.S. law. It's completely bogus. It's the United States being a bully. Uh, in Canada, in the Ming Wanzhou case, the same thing. No violation of, of uh, law. The U.S. had no uh, right whatsoever to try to snatch her up. And it's the same, the same thing. And um, it's the kind of thing that peace-loving people have to actively oppose. And, and sanctions fair, if that's a word, alongside lawfare, <laughs> is an increasing part of it, right? I mean, we're talking about mm -hmm. dozens of countries, uh, sanctions against entire populations in violation of the Geneva Conventions that hurt yep. people, that kill people, uh, not just in... Nicaragua or North Korea or Cuba, but Syria and Iran and dozens of places, right? I believe it's 39 countries under some kind of uh, sanctions. Uh, some come, sometimes they only sanction an individual. So the U.S. will say a certain diplomat can't enter the country or, or something of that nature. Um, but it's all intimidation. These are efforts to intimidate. And as you as you point out, this is a violation of the Geneva Convention targeting civilians with collective punishment is by definition a war crime. So sanctions are a war crime, but nobody describes it that way. The, the media that we've talked about, they just parrot back uh, whatever um, uh, the state says. And they did it in, by the way, with Trump, too. It was very funny to me. We were always told Trump was a liar. Trump was a fascist. Trump was this terrible outlier. But these newspapers, they backed him to the hilt when it came to Venezuela or uh, Iran. And then we have, you know, the, the uh, as you were pointing out, the, um, the war party is bipartisan. So you get a new president and you get the same foreign policy. So far, Biden foreign policy is Trump foreign policy. So this idea that of... Uh, uh, what was it? Harm reduction that, you know, any questions anybody had about Biden were supposed to shut up because it's harm reduction and you can't have Trump and you're going to have something better, less harmful. Well, that all depends. Not if you live in Nicaragua. You, you don't seem to have learned to shut up very well, Margaret. Um, I, I hope nobody Thank you. does. <laughs> um, I, I, I wanted to, to also ask you about someone who really committed the offense of not shutting up for, for years and did the world a great deal of good, uh, Julian Assange. 
who apparently, as many people assumed and suspected, uh, we now have confirmed in writing uh, that the U.S. government looked into how to kidnap him as well or how to murder him. Uh, and uh, there seems to be it seems to be a story that's uh, come and gone much faster, I'm afraid, than the Colin Powell uh, funeral extravaganza will. Yeah, won't that be? Oh God, that's going to be a nightmare. I'm going to, I don't know, maybe stay in bed all day the day of his funeral. It'll be horrible. But Julian Assange, yes, he committed the crime of telling the truth. He and uh, Chelsea Manning uh, revealed U.S. war crimes, literal photographic video evidence of U.S. war, war crimes in Iraq, uh, with the Iraq war logs. Uh, and he was never forgiven for having done that. Uh, the U.S. undermined the Ecuador. He was in uh, the uh, given sanctuary at the Ecuadorian embassy in London, and the U.S. just undermined their election to make sure they got somebody else in who would kick him out uh, because you have protection inside an embassy. Uh, and the British, of course, being little lapdogs, they have gone along uh, to uh, uh, try to extradite him to the U.S. There's a hearing coming up uh, in a, a few days, uh, this, some uh, day this week, uh, and we must all be in support of Julian Assange. He is a political prisoner. You know, it's a funny thing. I kept reading about the, the Russian guy, Navalny, who gets to tweet. He's on Twitter, and we're always told how evil Russia is, how evil Putin is. And this man gets to tweak, has internet access. Julian Assange has no such thing, can barely meet with his lawyers, see his family. And we're supposed to be, the U.S. and the U.K. are supposed to be superior countries to Russia with better human rights. Uh, but this is a grotesque human rights violation. And the goal is to punish anyone. They use the Espionage Act. This was a Trump. Um, prosecution, but Biden has gone right along with it. And Obama before Trump using the Espionage Act to uh, punish whistleblowers. And Obama ended up using the Espionage Act, I believe more than any other, pre I think if you put them all together, it was more often than all the presidents combined since the days of, and didn't that start with Woodrow Wilson and the Palmer raids? I mean, my God. And uh, that it um, was ramped up again for the purpose of protecting the state. And they have done, a, unfortunately, an excellent job of smearing Assange. They blame him for uh, Hillary Clinton losing. They've said he was a rapist. Nobody's charged him with rape. Sweden never charged, decided to drop the case actually very early on, but they were pressured uh, by the U.S. to continue a, a case that they thought didn't need to be investigated anymore. Yeah. And uh, so we must be in support of, of Assange. I, uh, I, I noticed that Navalny not only is able to tweet, but tweeted a while back videos of himself pretending to murder immigrants dressed up as rodents. Uh, and as far as I know, has never untweeted that stuff. And he's the liberal hero. Uh, and yeah. there were U.S. media reports speculating that he might get the Nobel Peace Prize. 
Uh, and, and so it was a relief when they didn't give it to him. They gave the Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> not to any advocates for peace, of course, to no. people for some other completely unrelated good cause, which is the best they ever do, because it's either that or they give it to actual warmongers. Uh, but they gave it to journalists, including a journalist in Russia, so they could talk about all the bad deeds uh, of the Russian government. Uh, and yet... Never any possibility that they were going to look at Julian Assange as someone worthy of such support, was there? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, and talk about somebody who worked for peace. That's he was dedicating it to, among other things. He, he was dedicating WikiLeaks is dedicated to revealing the things that governments want to keep hidden, including yes. war making. And that makes him a candidate for the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, and they sometimes give it to people who've done great things and nobody can argue, you know, against them. But the two, the, uh, by the way, the other journalist is two winners. One is from, she's from the Philippines and she was, she said, oh, Assange is no journalist. Um, so, uh, and the, uh, is his name Muratov? Uh, from, he's an opposition figure. He writes for an opposition paper in Russia, and that's fine, which actually proves that there is an opposition allowed to speak out in Russia. Uh, so whatever it is Putin does, it's not as bad as uh, we're told. Margaret Kimberly is executive editor, <laughs> senior columnist for the Black Agenda Report. Margaret, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk World Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.